welcome to another episode of the Young Mormon Feminist Podcast. I am your host, Julia. This past weekend and the previous weekend with the women's meeting, the LDS Church held its 184th semi-annual general conference. In all, our leaders spoke to us for nearly 12 hours. There's lots to unpack, so we're going to do this in two separate episodes. The first episode is covering the women's session, the Saturday morning and the Saturday afternoon sessions. The second episode, we're going to talk about the priesthood session and experiences attending the priesthood session live. And then we're going to talk about the Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon sessions. To help me, I have with me Jennifer. She is 26 years old, living in the Washington, D.C. area, and had a good experience attending both the women's meeting and the priesthood session live at her local state center. Welcome, Jennifer. Hi, it's great to be here. Thanks, Julia. I also have with me Catherine. She is 23 years old, living in West Virginia. Uh, she guest posts for YMF and wrote the popular post, Surviving General Conference, that was posted this last April. Taking some of her own advice, she live-tweeted conference, which I know can be a lot of fun. Welcome, Catherine. Hi, thank you for having me. So as I mentioned, we're going to do this in two episodes Um and the format is we're going to go through the highs and lows for each session, starting chronologically with the women's meeting, Saturday morning, Saturday afternoon. And for the second podcast, we're going to cover the priesthood session, experiences attending it live, as well as Sunday morning and Sunday afternoon sessions. So without further ado, let's dive in. Starting with the women's meeting, I know this was a little bit ago, but let's talk about it. Jennifer, what was your high from the women's session? Um, I'm going to talk about two highlights, one at my local stake level and one from the content of the meeting itself. Um, as some of our listeners might know, the general women's meeting format for the past year and a half um, has been combined girls and women ages eight and up. Um, and I really appreciate that my stake had a getting to know you activity that engaged the younger girls. Um, and in particular, it engaged them in ways that helped them find women in our stake who could be positive role models um, in terms of education and career. And I, I enjoyed talking to some of these girls and just sort of seeing them take that in and enjoy themselves. That's great. What, so what did they do? They just had a little questionnaire and the girls had to go around and find women with, you know, certain kinds of jobs or who had been to school in a certain state or, you know, some of the questions were a little bit more fun, like your favorite football team, things like that. Um, but it just gave us a chance to sort of connect. Um, and I think that both in Priested and in the general women's meeting, one of the great things that goes on is that we start bringing people in at a younger age and sort of grant some agency to the younger members of our church. I know there has been some discussion of the format of the women's meeting looking more like a women and children kind of event because it's eight and up versus the priesthood session has ages 12 and up. And that's more about the milestones at which you get, um, you know, get ordained to different offices in the priesthood. 
And I think that's an important distinction and there is definitely something to deconstruct there. But I also really do appreciate in the church, we talk about, you know, eight-year-old children having accountability and we really bring people sort of fully to the table in a way that allows for growth. So that was sort of the local highlight. On a global level, I really enjoyed the, there's a video presentation about the temple um, and there was a really broad variety of experiences with the temple that was talked about in that presentation. I'm sure a lot of other Mormon feminists can relate, but I, I do struggle with temple theology sometimes. But to hear women talking about finding comfort in the temple for a wide variety of experiences. Yeah, I really enjoyed that presentation as well. I particularly noticed there was only one person in that entire presentation who was speaking English and everyone else was speaking a different language and was subtitled. And I loved that because I feel like it kicked off the international flair that this conference Mm -hmm. has had for the first time, (laughs) you know, with the subsequent sessions in including speakers in speaking in their native languages. I felt like this video, as well as the Korean primary singing, I'm a child of God in Korean. Um, I felt like it was a, a nod to the fact that this is an international church and, and it's not an American church. And we're, we're starting to move away. I mean, very slowly, but starting to move away from centering our narrative and our stories on the experiences of our American members who are less than half of our members now. Right. Which I think is a really important thing. Yeah. Okay. Catherine, what was your high highlight from the women's meeting? I, I think Jennifer brought up a really great point when she was talking about the, um, her stake having an activity and bringing women together beforehand, because I think that's one of the most um, groundbreaking things with this conference is is not that, um, you know, yes, sometimes it can be a little oriented toward the children and there's not a lot of um, strong doctrine or powerful uh, speeches that are given, but it's a way to unify the sisterhood of the church. And I think that's one of the most important things we need to be doing. Um, my ward, I have, a, I go to a small student ward. Um, we had a pajama party oh, fun. And, watched, and watched the women's conference together, you know, had popcorn and cookies. And um, it was, it was a really great experience to be with, People who um, we're all, every single one of us is in a different place in our life. Some of us are married, some of us aren't, some of us are starting careers, some of us are just figuring out what we want to do. Um, But we're all unified in our uh, testimonies and love of the gospel. And I think that that's a really, really wonderful thing that happens with the Women's Conference. my high, my personal high, it, there was some there was some great stuff presented in this, but I really loved um, hearing and seeing uh, a, 
an African American woman pray. Yay! <laughs> uh, I thought it was obvious, but also <laughs> groundbreaking um, to see that happen. And and I I think that the points that you brought up moments ago about this truly is an international church and this truly is a church that has people of all walks of life and all backgrounds and all ethnicities and races and to hear hear that represented and see that represented is really important to me that's great yeah i read a blog post about that on feminist mormon housewives about how it's not i mean it's definitely a recognition that Mormons come in different colors other than white. Um, and, but it was also in recognition of the South African members um, because uh, there it was a blog post written by a woman who used to live in South Africa. And she just mm-hmm. told a lot about, you know, the different, the difficulties that South African members have felt in getting recognized fully in the church. And so I appreciated that perspective and in placing the significance of uh, the sister giving the opening prayer. So my high is kind of tied into my low in that kind of the the theme of the women's session was temple attendance. And, you know, Jennifer, you talked a little bit about how, you know, sometimes feminists have uh, struggles with temple theology. And so I felt like the message of preparing for the temple just didn't, I, it just wasn't connecting with me this time. Um, and so all of the women's talks were focused on that to some degree. And so it was hard for me to connect. However, Elder Uchtdorf's talk, and I hate to pick the one man who spoke at women's conference to say that it's my high, Mm -hmm. but, you know, I feel like Uchtdorf always speaks to my heart, (laughs) and he talked about uh, a number of things that I think has made news and things that spoke to me personally. One thing that made news was that he said, we're opening another general conference with that session. Mm-hmm. And although it wasn't consistently maintained throughout conference, recognizing <laughs> that the women's session is actually part of general conference, there were some points where uh, it was counted in the number of sessions and some points where it was not. Um, I feel like everyone was a little bit confused about that throughout. Yeah. And even on the LDS.org website, women's conference is listed very last um, on the list of, it says October General Conference, it starts with Saturday morning it, and it goes through chronologically, except that women's conference is last. Um, so I think there is some confusion on this point. I, of whether it, the church actually recognizes it, it certainly does not do so consistently. But Elder Uchtdorf, who is in the first presidency of the church, recognized it as opening General Conference, and I appreciated that. The other thing that he said was he recognized that we're children of heavenly parents. And I know some people are saying, oh, that's not that big of a deal. It's part of our doctrine. Well, yes, it may be understood in the church that we're children of heavenly parents, but it's not talked about widely. In fact, I did a quick search on LDS.org to find when the last time someone has said that we are children of heavenly parents 
and um, it was in 2009, and it was Elder Uchtdorf <laughs> who said it, and he has said it two other times. Um, so but, starting a small revolution here. Right, and, but it's just him. Like, everyone else says Heavenly Father. We're children of our Heavenly Father. And in fact, three other speakers in this conference, I noticed, said when they talked about us being children of deity it was not children of our heavenly parents it was children of god or children of our heavenly father so this idea that elder ugdorf consistently recognizes that we're children of our heavenly parents may not be revolutionary doctrinally but it is unique in terms of the messaging that we're receiving from our leaders so i do appreciate that even though people were saying oh this is a non-story it, it's it's important and the words that we say and how we say them matters um, so that was my high and my low kind of wrapped in there. Um, Jennifer, was there a low for you in the women's session? Um, yes. So, so my low in the women's session doesn't have to do necessarily with the content of the talks at all. Um, and that's what makes it so hard for me. It sort of ties into what you were saying about, um, about President Uchtdorf's talk um, about how you said you, you hate to choose, you know, the, the man's talk and the women's meeting, um, as your high. And, um, I also really appreciated that talk. I loved the visibility he gave to that doctrine of, um, of divinity being feminine as well as masculine. Um, I thought it was really beautiful, but the thing that is, low for me about the women's meeting um, consistently is this little bit of niggling administrative procedure that that I try to put out of my mind most of the time, which is that in the church in general, um, there's always a man presiding over every meeting um, in almost every calling. Women are not granted authority over groups of men or mixed gender people. Um, and men are consistently, you know, granted authority over groups of women. And um, so this has nothing to do with the content. I actually, you know, I was very spiritually uplifted by all of the talks at the women's meeting um, and had a good experience. But this is one of the things that makes me feel most unequal, um, and unappreciated and unwelcome in the church in general. Yeah. Catherine, what about you? Was there a low for you in the women's session? Actually, my low was very similar to Jennifer's. Um, it wasn't the content or the, the topics so much as the format and the structure and the fact that the keynote, the longest address, was given by a, a man, a man I adore and respect very much as a leader in this church, but a man nonetheless. And, um, and I think that there's a lot of room for improvement because by, by having, you know, a man conduct the meet well, you know, preside over the meeting and close the meeting to, to say that, you know, that's to show that these are 
the official formal way we do things and it's not a it's not truly a woman's space it's not truly a space for the sisters because everything that's said and done has to be overseen and presided by and closed out with the thoughts and testimony of a man I have I have personally heard women speak with great spiritual authority, um, and I would I would really like to see that acknowledged. This is Jennifer again. Um, it feels to me like even in the spaces that we denote as women's spaces, men have to be in control in order for the administrative procedures in the church to be running smoothly. Um, and having that built in is just an automatic blow to the autonomy of women in in every way. It's one of those, you know, those battles that that we can't get away from. <laughs> the autonomy. Um, what another thing I wanted to to just mention about the women's meeting and get your thoughts on that is that although I did a I do enjoy the video presentations. I noted that not only does no other session of conference include a video presentation, but it also takes away the number of female leaders that we get to hear from. There were four speakers in the general women's meeting, plus a video presentation, and that's compared to six speakers in the priesthood session and every other session of general conference which i think that we should have every opportunity plus some to hear from our <laughs> our our female leaders and so it's it's a little bit disappointing that you know that it removes not just one but two speakers um, that we would have the opportunity to hear from. So that uh, I think there are some, there's definitely room for improvement um, in that respect. Jennifer here. Yeah, I just wanted to note as well that through all four general sessions of conference, there were only two female speakers. So there's definitely room to hear more female voices to get um, to get more women giving us their experience and their thoughts. Right, absolutely. Because as we can probably guess, I don't think there are many men who desire to participate in women's the women's session or hear or listen or, you know, read the women's session. Um, and so they, they're limited in their opportunities that they, I guess, that they take to hear from the, the women leaders in the church. And when they don't hear from women leaders, we don't have visibility in f- with the men. Mm-hmm. That's that's a problem. Yeah, and again, um, even if even if men want to um, to listen to the women's session and want to hear those talks, it's something they have to go and seek out above and beyond, um, you know, what they would normally be doing for conference. So even beyond the desire, there's you know, for a lot of people, you just don't get to the things that are above and beyond your normal responsibilities, um, no matter how much you might think it's a good thing. My hope, my secret wish is that someday 
the priesthood session and the women's conference session will be switched in time so that the priesthood session will be the week prior to general the general sessions and the women's session will be on Saturday afternoon or sorry Saturday evening the weekend of I think that that may be a pipe dream but (laughs) (laughs) that is my that is my hope and prayer I feel like that is the next baby step that um, we can see you know I the church is cognizant that people are watching and taking note of the inequalities between the women's session and the priesthood session between women and men in general in the church. And they specifically um, made a point to exclude media from the general women's meeting this time because they are excluding media from the priesthood session, uh, Hmm. which I'm not sure is necessarily the outcome that any of us want. But they said in order to facilitate, you know, show more equality between the sessions, we're excluding media from the general women's meeting, too. Yeah, I actually appreciate that. So I think that the, at least, you know, the PR department is showing that they recognize that there are inequalities between the sessions. Yeah, and and little things that they can do, even if some of these bigger changes that we talk about. I mean, I. I'm well aware that I am um, somewhat radical with some of the things that I'm looking for, but I think I think some of these little things, like switching the timing, um, are really feasible. Um, I just I just want to add that I think the more legitimate the women's session is made, um, the more the more validity it is given the the closer it will be to actually being a part of general conference and and also with that end the more we hear from women in our general conferences the the more we'll understand that women have voices and things to say yeah I want to talk a little bit about um, what has been dubbed as primary voice. Um, so if for those not familiar with what primary voice is, there is a phenomenon among some of the women leaders in our church to speak in higher pitched tones, to speak slowly and simply and softly um, and kind of like, trailing off at the end of sentences in a way that one might speak to children. And it has consistently noticed that women speak that way, and it has been cited as a reason um, among both men and women, but particularly among men, for why they cannot stand when a woman starts speaking in general conference. Um, This is Jennifer. I I know that that I'm very prone to some of these gendered uh, mannerisms. And I think that maybe just listening to me on this podcast, you might, you might find me trailing off now and then you might, um, you know, you might find me speaking softly. Um, This is something that I deal with at work. That's been really difficult for me to try to overcome is learning to communicate um, in a way that asserts, you know, my needs. Um, and I think that's the main 
problem with primary voice is that it's the voice of power in our church um, that in order to be taken seriously or paid attention to, often I feel that I need to really buy into traditional tender, traditional gender stereotypes um, when I'm asking for things um, or when I'm, especially if I'm trying to ask for something that might be a little bit outside the norm. I think that, you know, there's a lot of deconstruction to be done on that front. Um, but I, I think it's absolutely um, misogynistic, especially coming from men in the church to cite primary voice as a reason not to listen to the words that women have to say or, you know, as a reason that, that a, a talk might grade on you or um, it's, it's very much tone policing. It's, um, you know, I, I will talk all day about um, the problems of buying into traditional gender roles in order to support the patriarchy um, and... I think that's totally valid, but the way that people talk about primary voice during general conference, to be perfectly honest, uh, makes me very mad. <laughs> I think it's incredibly misogynistic. Right. So the, and there's been some discussion on the YMF Facebook group about this is saying that to criticize a woman for using primary voice is different than for criticizing the sociological causes or influences of a woman thinking that she needs to speak in a particular way in to be accepted and to be viewed as having as being as fitting into the the norms within the church. Um, and I think that the, it, it is a problem if people are manipulating their voices for the purpose of speaking in general conference or appearing to have some type of authority. Um, however, if that's their normal speaking voice or if it's something that they're dealing with, then we, you know, it's misogynistic for both, you know, for anyone to say, I can't handle listening to this woman's voice because she sounds like a woman. You know, I, Catherine here, um, I really appreciated seeing that called out because I've totally been guilty of mocking primary voice. Oh, so have in, I. Absolutely. In my past. And I'm kind of embarrassed about it now um, because it is a, a thing that has been programmed into a lot of women's speech patterns, particularly LDS women. And, um, and to invalidate what they say because of the way in which they say it is completely misogynistic and disrespectful. Yeah. I think it's one of these things, this is Jennifer again, um, where I'm in a dichotomy and, um, there's really no right answer, right? Where if you, if you speak in primary voice, um, people are going to make fun of you for it, right? Like the men are going to say, oh, I can't stand to listen to those talks that are so soft and feminine. That's, you know, it sounds like they're just talking to children. Um, this isn't for me. Uh, but if you don't speak in primary voice, nobody listens to you. And it, it sort of 
it's sort of the way a woman can never dress exactly right, you know, to be modest enough and also sexy enough. Um, it's just one of these things um, where we have an impossible standard to live up to, I think. Right. It's a catch-22. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I think we did a pretty good postmortem on the women's session. <laughs> so <laughs> let's move on to the Saturday morning session. Catherine, um, what would you say is a highlight for you of the Saturday morning session? Well, I actually did not watch the Saturday morning session. Um, in the spirit of full disclosure, I uh, gave myself a break and decided to wait and digest that session later in print when it comes out. So, um, unfortunately, I don't I don't really know what the high is, but I've heard really, really great things about it. I mean, I usually like the Saturday morning session. I usually feel like it's very um, spiritual, but also welcoming uh, in general. So, so I don't know. Well, good for you for giving you <laughs> giving you what you need over the to get through the weekend. Um, for me, Saturday morning really was my favorite session, and maybe it was because I was the freshest, and so I felt like. I wasn't feeling any emotional or physical fatigue, um, but I, I, I was going through the talks again, trying to pull out my highlights, and I kept pulling them and pulling them. I'm like, oh my gosh, I have to pare this down. I can't talk about everything that I loved, <laughs> um, which I think is a, a terrific problem to have. I think, um, so I'll just kind of give a little bit of mine. One of the highlights I thought was Cheryl Eslin's talk on the sacraments. Um, I really appreciated it because I felt like um, it was very substantive, uh, which I uh, appreciated from a female speaker. And I hope that, you know, this is a pattern for women speaking in conference or not a pattern. I think honestly, I think women have been giving substantive talks in conference for a long for a long time, and people aren't paying attention. Um, mm-hmm. But this is one that I noticed that was very substantive, and I appreciated it. It was very doctrinal, um, and I thought I you know I'm going to go back and read it again, and you know enjoy it again. Uh, my second one was Elder Chi Hong Wong speaking Mandarin. Um, which is his native language with for the first time in conference. Uh, it was awesome. And I bet that the folks, the saints who speak Mandarin just had a blast hearing their native language, um, being spoken in conference. It was wonderful. I, we had English dubs over it. And I know that there was a way I learned afterward to turn off the, the dub and have subtitles. Um, I didn't have it at the time that we, that we were listening to it live. Um, so I didn't get to hear much of the Mandarin, but I thought he gave an excellent talk and I thought that it, it was really exciting to hear that for the first time. Um, this is Catherine. Um, I just want to add that that is one of my favorite things about this conference as a whole um, is that we get to hear from people in their native language. And I think it expands the 
the voices that we can hear from, the people who otherwise would not be able to speak to us because their English isn't strong enough, um, are able to share really, really profound and important spiritual truths in their own language. I think that's a really great advancement that we've made. Absolutely. My last, well, the last one that I picked out of the many that I had um, was actually Elder Christofferson's talk. He talked about agency. And right up front, I was, um, he did a quote from, or talked about Shakespeare's play Life of King Henry V. And he was mm-hmm. talking about how some of the um, king's servants were saying, well, even we, I, you know, I'm here to serve the king. And even if the king is wrong, my obedience to the king wipes out any crime I have made in the name of the king. And he's, Elder, which I think is a common thing for people to say in leadership in the church. And I'm not sure that this was exactly his message, although it, I'll, I'll do another quote where um, he, he did say, alluded to this again. But we are given our moral agency so that we make our own decisions regardless of what our leaders tell us. And that we're not supposed to accept what leaders tell us carte blanche. That obedience to what peop- what our leaders say does not wipe out the resp- our own responsibility for our own actions and our own moral agency. And I really that really connected to me. I felt like, oh my gosh, this is speaking to me. This is saying, Julia, you need to act consistent with what you think is right and what you think is wrong. And it's not good enough to say that you're following someone. It's only good enough for you to say that you believe that it's right. And I just, I felt like that gave me hope and support for me feeling like I can be authentic to myself and to my feelings and have it backed up by, (laughs) um, you know, someone speaking in general conference. He also quoted Brigham Young saying, I do not wish any Latter-day Saint in this world nor in heaven to be satisfied with anything I do unless the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ in the spirit of revelation makes them satisfied. I wish them to know for themselves and understand for themselves. And he says, his pro- nor, nor will his prophets accept the role of puppet master in God's place. So where his whole, the whole point of that was to say that the prophets are not directing us in everything. And it's really God who we're serving, not the prophets. Um, which, as later sessions, as we talk about later sessions, I felt like this was very conflicting with what some of the people were saying in later sessions. Um, but I felt this was a major high for me. Uh, later on, he talked about a man who would not lift a finger to help himself and was relying on other people to do things for them. And I think some people took away a kind of a welfare-hating or a dull-hating message from that. I didn't take that away 
from that, but I wanted to recognize that some people ha- did have some issues with this talk in thinking that it, it might be um, frowning upon people who are receiving government assistance. Anyway, so those oh. are my many, many highs. I loved this session. Um, Elder Uchtdorf also spoke in this session, and I um, found a lot of inspiration in his talk as well. So with that, Jennifer, <laughs> what were your highs from Saturday morning? Um, before I start with mine, I just wanted to build on, on something you were saying about Elder Christofferson's talk. Um, I have it in front of me here, and he's... He's very explicit when he quotes King Henry saying, every subject's duty is the king's, but every subject's soul is his own. Um, And when you were talking about some of the later talks um, that seem to contradict this this message that you got from here, um, I like what he says in the next paragraph. Um, He highlights that Shakespeare doesn't attempt to resolve this debate, right? Where every subject's duty is the king's, but every subject's soul is his own. Um, and I sort of see those conflicting messages. Um, and I, I do think that Sunday morning was a little bit um, heavy-handed on obedience, but um, I think there's something to uh, highlighting the good of um, of listening to authority as well as the good of listening to your own conscience and leaving it to each individual to sort of walk that line because it's, it's a difficult one to stay on. Um, and I think it again, yeah, it comes down to following your own, um, your own assessment of, um, like Brigham Young says, following the spirit to confirm when, leaders are speaking truth. Right. Um, and to be clear, I'm not saying yeah. that we should throw out <laughs> everything that the leaders oh, no. say. No, no, no. I, I, so, um, but I do think that it's important that, I, I think it's very important that he emphasized this point that um, every person is accountable for their own decisions. Um, mm. And, you know, that like the prophets are not the puppet master and they do not control mm-hmm. us as if we are. It's, he literally says this. I'm not making this up. He said no, they yeah, do not I, control us if, if we were their puppets. They are not the puppet master. We are serving God. Um, and it's I, a I, really, really beautiful talk um, and a message I think that we don't hear enough. Yeah. So I have two highs from this session as well. And one of my highs is actually tied into my low. So if you want, I can just go through all of that sure. for myself and we can go back in reverse order. But um, the first high I wanted to talk about was um, President Uchtdorf's talk. Um, I really appreciated the expansiveness um, and I felt like it was expansive in two ways. First of all, he talked about um, expanding the stakes of Zion and just this sort of inclusivity of, of people that... Um, that we're not setting standards for, you know, your testimony has to be this tall. Is that the analogy he used to come into our church buildings? Mm-hmm. Um, that we're really, we want to make sure we have a culture of welcoming everybody. Um, so I appreciated the expansiveness and inclusivity. And I also appreciated his expansiveness in, um, believing in many great things yet to be revealed. I loved his, um, 
his analogy of exploring the universe and, um, and also of advances in science and this idea that it's really impossible for us to know exactly how much things can change and grow and become better. Um, and this, this sort of faith that we can have in what the Lord has in store for our lives and for this church organization. Um, I know this is a little bit of confirmation bias, but you know, to me that confirms that some of these, these difficult questions that come up, um, in, in my life as my, um, as some of my more progressive values seem to be in conflict with the church. Um, it gives me hope that, um, that there are ways that I can't comprehend of resolving those positions. Um, and that concept sort of leads into what's a, a little bit, both a high and a low for me. Um, so I, I feel like the, the talks from, so the talk from Elder Robbins and the talk from Elder Oaks, was that in this session? That's Saturday afternoon. Hit Oaks okay. is Saturday afternoon. Okay, so maybe yep. I'll hold off a little bit. Um, I, I do want to talk about this too together but um you can go ahead and talk about them together that's fine okay i found both a high and a low in the combination of elder robbins and elder oaks talks um elder oaks talk in the saturday afternoon session um reminded me very much of his last conference talk about women in the priesthood in that i feel like he dove right in and explicitly dealt with some of the most difficult um contradictions within our own church body at this time and some of the most yeah some of the things that that members within the church disagree with each other on um and in his you know explicit talk of um of the legalization of same-sex marriage as you know as something that's difficult for the saints to um to deal with uh i found a low in that i don't I don't fall in that category. I, I think it's great that same-sex marriage is, is becoming legal in, in more and more places. And I know that there are a lot of saints that feel a little bit excluded um, when he talks about it as something difficult for, for us to deal with. Because for a lot of people, it's not. But just like in, in his last talk about women in the priesthood, I felt like it was really on one hand, just maybe brave of him to, <laughs> to bring up these, these controversial issues. And on the other hand, it, it just gives us a context for talking about it. Um, and it brings it to the surface. And, um, and I, don't, I don't think that we're going to come to any kind of resolution as a body of Christ on these things until we're talking about it. So even though... There are some lows in the ways that I am receiving some of the things that he's saying. I think that it's a really beautiful thing for him to talk about it. In relation to Elder Robin's talk, um, I felt like there were a lot of sort of concealed messages about the same subject matter. I I guess I could have been reading that wrong. Um, I feel like I could have listened to this talk without that cultural context and gotten some really good messages from it and that there are really good ways to apply 
this idea of, of living your life facing God or not facing God, but I was feeling some tension. Yeah, yeah absolutely. I remember sitting through Elder Robin's talk and feeling like it was very, they were setting up this dichotomy and I was not getting the warm fuzzies from it. <laughs> say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I, as I read the talk again today, I had a, a different feeling from it. I, you know, I'm not as inspired by it as I am other talks, but I didn't get that same feeling that I felt when I was actually sitting through it, which is good, I suppose. <laughs> Maybe a little <laughs> perspective can help me feel less less of that those negative emotions. But I did list, because of how I felt, and I know that the people who are watching it with me um, felt similarly uh, because of how I felt from it I, that I rated this as one of my lows from the Saturday morning session. Um, another thing that I wanted to talk about from that talk, this is Jennifer again, is this concept of whether we're using God first or man first. Mm-hmm. Um, and where you say you felt like he was setting up a dichotomy. I don't know why it was because he wasn't explicit, but I, I had the same feeling. I think it was, you know, some of the specific, coded language do you like tolerance for lifestyles um that prioritize contentment or things like that um i think those are kind of buzzwords for these issues but um specifically for talking about homosexuality in in veiled or coded ways but the, the overall message of letting your motivation coming from pleasing god before pleasing man is something that I relate to actually on that very issue. And I, I feel like it is, you know, you can get a lot of of grief at church from taking some of these positions, but when you feel like it's the right thing to do, I think it is an issue of digging deep and saying, well, what's pleasing to God? And I mean, I think that one of the difficult things about religion actually is that when I dig deep, I feel like the thing that's that's pleasing to God is different from maybe what I'm hearing over the pulpit from, from the institution and the leaders of the institution. I think it's an important contradiction to face up to. And, and I think that's why I count these talks as both a high and a low. Well, and that also goes to Elder Christofferson's talk saying, you know, this is what you're, you should be digging deep and figuring out what you believe in, mm-hmm. what you think God is saying. Okay, great. Saturday morning, check. Okay, let's move on to Saturday afternoon. Who wants to take this first? I will. Great. This is Catherine. Saturday afternoon had so much Jesus. There was a lot of um, scriptural references and references to the life of Christ and the nature of Christ and for me, that was a high because so often conference has a tendency to tell stories of other people and other, um, you know, saints and other leaders and uh, apostles, prophets. But hearing talk after talk reference Christ was really, really important to me. Um, my other high, and I think this... I think this received a lot of really good feedback among a lot of other people, um, would have to be Elder Holland's talk. Yes, yes, yes. About 
Agreed. Christ-like charity and caring for the poor. And I think that it was... Elder Holland has, you know, whether I agree with everything he says or not, the, the man has a way of speaking his truth in a manner that is both um, very direct and powerful, but also very lovingly. And I I was actually watching this talk, and I actually was cheering and, you know, uh, furiously tweeting and writing things down because I, I, I think that I've been craving this content, um, and, and knew it was there, knew it was there scripturally and, and somewhere in our doctrine, but hearing it laid out so clearly that, that Christ cared for the poor, he cared for people of all circumstances that, um, that we are to love someone and care for someone and help everyone we can, regardless of who they are and what their current life situation is. Um, to hear that spoken with such clarity was incredible. Totally agree. I think Elder Holland's talk is will go down as one of my favorite talks ever. I think it, it was just talk about warm fuzzies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, it was it, everything that followers of Christ should be uh, was outlined in this talk. And not to mention, um, I, I feel like this is the first instance in my recent memory where. Uh, an apostle has recognized the privilege that he has had in his life and you know, not necessarily like not apologizing for it, but just saying, look, I understand that I have not never been poor. I do not know what this feels like. Um, mm-hmm. Jesus does because, right. you know, but I don't know what this feels like. And so, and, but we are all beggars before Jesus. And I, yeah, the whole talk and, um, the tone with which he conveyed it and the emotion that you could see behind it was really uh, stunning to me. Yeah, that was a really beautiful moment when he just kind of took on this humility and acknowledged his privilege and his lack of understanding there. There are some talks later on that I, in the conference that I felt were a little bit defensive of apostles mm-hmm. some saying like oh you think that we're in a bubble or there's been criticism of us being bigots but we're not we're not okay i felt like this was the biggest example um he wasn't saying look we're we're we we get it we know what it's like to be poor because we've been with poor people Mm-hmm. That wasn't what his message was, which as I feel like uh, there are some talks later on that kind of tried to share of that message. <laughs> his his talk was not that at all. His and I really appreciated that, you know, um him being so honest humble. in that way. Yeah. yeah, humble. Yeah. It was really beautiful and it it will also go down as one of my all-time favorite talks. Mhm. Did you have any other highlights you wanted to share, Catherine? Um, 
No, not from that session. Okay. Jennifer, what about you? Highlights? Sure. Um, my highlight from this session actually is sort of overarching of all of the talks together. Um, the week before conference, I had a Sunday school lesson on Amos, and we focused on the definition of, of prophetic speaking, um, and in particular, the difference between Amos's prophetic speaking and sort of the, the priestly duties of the people he was speaking to, and, and that you can be in a role of fulfilling a, a priestly office and conserving the institution and uh, making sure that things are going right. Or you can be in a prophetic role like Amos was and really make people uncomfortable and call them out um, where they need to be called out and sort of call people to repentance. And I felt like the Saturday afternoon session was really prophetic, um, particularly Elder Holland's talk. Um, and also Elder, um, I'm going to pr- mispronounce his last name, Klebingat. Um, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I, I'm saying yes, I know who you're talking about. I'm not saying <laughs> uh-huh. yes, that's how you pronounce it, because I have no idea. Right. Um, and as well, Elder Oaks' talk, and in particular, his messages about you know, peacefully coexisting with people with differences, I, I really felt like I was um, being called out on, yeah, on peaceful coexistence, on, um, on being confident in, you know, in what I know to be right and, and living by it without hypocrisy. And, and then in Elder Holland's talk, um, in finding more ways to help the poor and, and this was one of those moments where I felt like, you know, one of the purposes of religion, I think, can be to, um, what's the phrase we talk about, to comfort the afflicted and afflict the comfortable. And this, this afflicted all of the, the places where I've gotten comfortable in my life in just the right way. I feel like sometimes I listen to messages and I think, you know, that's, that's being a little bit you know, too hard or like, we don't want to like reinforce this culture of perfectionism, but the way that these talks were making me uncomfortable and the way that I felt called to repentance was very loving. And I felt like the priorities were right. Um, and that's, I think what I liked best about the session. Great. I think my high was, I mean, we've already talked about Elder Holland's talk. Um, I, actually thought that Elder Oaks's talk, although it had its problems, um, came out as a net positive for me. I felt like the emphasis on being without contention with those people that we disagree with mm-hmm. is one that we all could take note of, um, particularly on Facebook and <laughs> with people, you who disagree with things of religion. Religion is such a personal thing that when people disagree with religion, I I think people feel personally attacked and therefore speak out with perhaps a little bit more vitriol. And if I think that this talk was a wonderful reminder for everyone 
to reduce the turmoil in our conversations. Um, now, this is, I'm not, I am taking also taking note of Elder Ukdarf's talk in the priesthood sessions of you know not blaming everyone else and saying oh I hope that all those people who have been mean to me online have read this talk <laughs> um, because I also you know I need to read this talk and say how does it apply to me mm-hmm. most of all um, but I think it's a message that we all need to hear. So for me, it was a net positive in that respect. <sighs> Unfortunately, where there are much highs with Elder Holland's talk, I felt like this session had some stunning lows to me. Yes. Um, <sighs> unfortunately. Oh, I should say, one of the lows and the highs is Elder Klebengat, or Klebengat. He talked about the Word of Wisdom and I don't know even if he said word of wisdom, I can't recall, but he talked about keeping our physical bodies fit and in shape and eating well. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, someone is talking about the word of wisdom and the way that it was truly written to be. And mm-hmm. I thought that that was awesome. At the same time, I'm like, Oh, as I look down and I'm eating nachos and <laughs> <laughs> have a diet Dr. Pepper in my head. I'm like, Oh, I have some work to do. So I've now added, <laughs> you know, add some, a little bit more to my religious failings. But, uh, but I, so that was a high and a low. But beyond that, I felt, oh, and I, and I think I would be remiss without saying that we had our first Spanish speaker um, speaking in his native language, which I thought was great because so many members of our church speak Spanish as their native language, and I'm sure that that was an, a, an inspirational point for them. I know the Spanish-speaking return missionaries in the room with me were quite disappointed that they couldn't hear the Spanish because it was dubbed over in English. Right, right. So like I said, with their highs, there are some lows. Um, I felt like Elder Anderson's talk about Joseph Smith um, was incredibly dismissive of concerns that people have with church history um he -hmm. talked about how there's no truth filter on the internet which i totally agree with every you know people should be doing more research than simply googling joseph smith and saying oh there's all these problems what and then drawing conclusions from simple research however there is much more to it than i think he gave credence to and I, it seems like he dismissed it saying it's either untrue or it's out of context. And if you just knew the context of it, you'd be okay. Um, and I don't think that that's, uh, I felt like that was very kind of sweep under the rug. These mm-hmm. types of the problems that people genuinely have with verified history. Um, that the church has not been, in, uh, you know, admin administering I suppose yeah I thought one of the ironic things there is that the church has been very candid with the history of Joseph Smith and you can find many troubling things from their resources um and I think that's a great thing you know um I am a believer in prophetic fallibility um and also a believer that that doesn't necessarily negate the good that somebody does and I think that would be a much, you know, much more straight on approach for 
um, you know, for our leaders to take in general conference to validate that some of our concerns are, are legitimate. Um, and if you're going to defend Joseph Smith, you have to sort of accept that he's not, not perfect. Right. Um, Mm -hmm. and that's, you know, a little bit of an understatement, (laughs) um, but, um, but I think there are much, much healthier ways to talk about it. And that given how much the church has put into, um, facilitating those healthy conversations sort of quietly, um, I think it's very disingenuous for Elder Anderson to have given a talk like that. Yeah, it was definitely a missed opportunity. Maybe. I'm interested, though, to see, because he, he vaguely references, well, there are some troubling things, or, you know, people might find some convincing things on the internet about Joseph Smith. I'm wondering how many people who may not have been familiar with these things or have not exposed to them actually sought them out. Um, I'm wondering if there's going to be this kind of blowback from people being like, oh, there are? Interesting. What are they? Uh-huh. <laughs> but I, I don't know if that's going to happen, but it would be interesting to, to see. Yeah, I think generally anyone who hasn't gone and looked for it or you know somehow found a way to it so far will probably continue to want to avoid it based based on what Elder Anderson said, right? You know, I think it's interesting that this talk, he talked about, he used the the airplane safety analogy with, you know, making sure your oxygen mask is on before you help others. Um, and and I, I wasn't surprised to hear that. I'd heard it before in, in the context of encountering spiritual doubt but but I think that there's I think that that will further kind of separate those of us who are cautious believers who um, you know experience doubt experience uh, faith in a less than traditional Mormon sense but um, still want to participate in our communities and still want to serve and be home and visiting teachers and teach Sunday school or Relief Society or Elders Quorum. Um, because while it is difficult to, you know, save someone else's faith when your faith is struggling, I think that it's um, it's also really helpful to be able to uh, communicate and learn how to to voice your doubts and give give those things uh those struggles a platform in which they can be addressed and I do think that that was very much a missed opportunity and very I guess isolating to those who may not um who may be currently dealing with the you know the results of finding that information that he cautioned against and um, experiencing doubts and faith crisis and uh, transitions. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think that example about securing your own mask before helping others actually, for for me, cut 
the other way in that it seemed to me like he was saying, you need to, you know, inoculate yourself against these types of, um, these types of information, this type of information, which thought maybe people would be encouraged to seek out the type of information so that they can bolster their own testimony to help others and show why those things aren't true. And I don't know. Right. Maybe I was having a completely different perspective than everyone else was on this, but, um, you know, I was thinking, well, so wait, is he telling other people to go seek this out so they can help other people after they've figured it out? Like what I, I found that was a little confusing. And then later on, I was not a fan of this talk. He talked to youth saying, you know, find a few scriptures that you know are absolutely true and share them with people. Um, And then read the the testimony of the prophet. And this is where he said, read the testimony, read it lots and lots of times, read it often. Then record the testimony in your own voice and listen to that often and then share it with friends. I... The, when he was talking about that, I'm like, isn't that how people are like brainwashed and indoctrinated by li- like reading things over and over again and putting it in your own words and then listening to that over and over again and then telling other people and repeating it? I just felt like that was very formulaic um, in a way to get people to to internalize something but divorced from the spirituality of it does that make sense yeah that does make sense you know he he did mention to you know gain a testimony of the prophet joseph smith in your youth which i appreciate because the testimony of the the restoration um is a huge part of why i'm still here but I did not appreciate the format and the manner in which he encouraged that rather than saying, you know, here for me, my seminary teacher uh, gave us during church history year, uh, gave us a whole week to talk about polygamy, <laughs> um, talked openly about, about the, the weird, hard, um, not very pleasant parts of our history and said, you know, they're there. This is, this is my testimony of it. This is what the prophets have said. Here's how you figure it out for yourself. And I find that to be a much more empowering and successful format rather than just, you know, just find something you know is true and make sure everyone else knows that you know it's true. Um, and, and that may be because I grew up as a, uh, a minority Mormon in, in that I, I was one of, there were four other, there were four Mormons in my graduating high school class of 200. And that was a lot for my area, um, that we, we, you know, the stuff against the church, the anti-information was just everywhere it was we were kind of surrounded by it it was hard to avoid it um so so surviving as a as an lds youth was very much dependent upon building your own testimony i think that that's great that your seminary teacher did that that's awesome 
another low for me, unfortunately, was right after Elder Holland's talk. So we're on this great high. And then Elder Perry starts talking about families, which is wonderful. I love families. But he spoke in very, talked about gender roles a lot. And I, you know, from went way up here to splat. And I <laughs> felt a little bit um, deflated. What are your thoughts on Elder Perry's talk? This is probably my love of the whole conference. This is Catherine, by the way. I think that Elder Perry's talk was just more of what, personally, what I did not need to hear. Um, the, the, the parts about, you know, women, um, like the roles of mothers and the roles of fathers and, and there was very specifically a part about men creating family traditions and I don't know why that stuck out to me. Um, but it was, it was just bizarre that, that he would specifically mention that fathers have the responsibility to create family traditions and mothers just get to go along for the ride that, um, and it was very shaming of women who, who choose careers or who have to work outside the home. I just didn't appreciate it (laughs) at all. Yeah, absolutely. There was one quote where he said, who can put a price tag on the influence a mother has on her children? Um, which I think is true. Parents have an incredible influence on their children. But to say that it's mothers who have the, this priceless influence and not to include fathers in that, um, I think uh, w- was disappointing to me. And as a woman, as a mother who has a career, I you know, felt like this talk was not based in the reality that women are working and that women have careers and (laughs) that people can be good parents even if they make choices other than staying in the home full time. That's I, I feel like women are only good parents if they stay home, but fathers are good parents by working. And I felt like his talk emphasized that, and it's just it just doesn't connect to me. These these distinct and rigid, inflexible gender roles are not, I don't think are relatable um, to me, and I think to a lot of our generation. I think that's right. Um, when you guys started talking about this talk, this is Jennifer. Um, I had to pull it up here on on my computer screen because I couldn't remember what he said. Um, and as I read through it, um, I realized that um, at this point, my roommates and I were kind of joking around and having fun, um, which I think must have made it a little bit more bearable for me. I do remember when he quoted, it's a quote from President Hinckley um, about women having a particular influence in the home and, and in particular... President Hinckley said that a woman who um, stays at home and and raises her children has uh, makes a greater contribution to society than one who commands a large army or stands at the head of a corporation. And, mm-hmm. and my roommates are not sort of involved in the Mormon feminist activist movement or anything like that. But 
uh, one of them just laughed and said, you know, I don't know, toddlers are like an army, like what has more influence in the world? And and that's sort of a flippant way of putting it. And I think that's why this this talk sort of slipped my mind is that by this point, it was the end of the second session of the day. We were kind of um, right. a little bit disengaged. Um, but I, I think one of the things that that shows is that there is a, a really big generational change. Um, and that I, I think there's just a lot of talking past each other on some of these things that it, that it's very normal in our generation for women to work outside the home, um, while they have children. Um, you know, even outside of the church, um, the millennial generation is sort of known for prioritizing work-life balance and for men and women being equally concerned with, um, with having a fulfilling private life at the same time as having a fulfilling career. Um, and I think there are broad uh, societal changes, structural changes that are making that more and more possible um, that make it really difficult um, to have these conversations across generations this way. And this is Catherine. Um, I hope you're right, Jennifer. Like, I genuinely hope that um, people will kind of dismiss the, this content, the, the words of this talk that say, um, you know, a woman's greatest influence is, is not outside the home. Um, you know, not that women can't have influence inside the home by any means, but, but I have this fear that women who are, you know, kind of coming of age, getting ready to choose their careers or, um, headed toward that path, I fear that they'll hear this and shrink from that. That they'll, they'll, you know, and I don't know how true that is, but I think that people who, who grow up, you know, as faithful members of the church put a lot of trust into these leaders. And to hear that said... Um, can can be kind of like, I don't know, kind of like a punch in the gut if you're not able to dismiss it. Yeah, um, this is Jennifer again. I, Catherine, I absolutely think that's a valid fear, and I know that my own personal experience reflects that I had sort of a slower start and, and I'm still having sort of a slower start on my career because there are other things that I prioritized um, in a way that's just not very realistic in the world that we live in. Um, and I think there absolutely are negative effects and I, I didn't mean to, you know, to dismiss those. I think the fact that we're talking past each other, the fact that there are these sort of generational differences, I don't think it's without problems. You know, I, I don't, I don't think it's, it's meaningless that these words are coming across the pulpit from very trusted leaders. Now, out of fairness, I did pull up his, talk and he does say that brethren your sacred calling as a father in Israel is most important calling in time and eternity so when I was saying that there wasn't this you know complimentary statement about a father's influence and a mother's influence there is that um, and, and maybe it's my own you know pride in that I didn't hear that the first time 
Um, so I'm grateful for the written word to yeah. set me straight. No, that's um, good to hear, actually. Yeah. yeah. But but I think the, 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 the rigid gender roles of this, you, you know, is, is still a disconnect. Yeah, and there's not the same dichotomy um, when, when he talks about the, the father's influence, right? When, when he talks about a woman's influence, it's specifically, you know, you won't have influence leading an army, you won't have influence with a corporation, but you will in the home. And, and I think you're right in what you were saying before, Julia, that, that men aren't, aren't given the message that, um, that working makes them a, a bad parent in the same way that, that women often are. Okay, so those are my very long lows. Okay, so Saturday afternoon check. We have now made it through three sessions of conference with three more to go. Um, so we're going to take a break and do a second episode for you all um, and to break it up a little bit. Um, so don't tune out. Next time we are going to talk about the priesthood session, Jennifer's experience, and my experience attending the priesthood session live at our local stick center. Um, and we're going to talk about the Sunday sessions. Um, so thank you both for joining us, and we will continue this conversation. Great. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia. Thank you, Julia.